0: Amen. Hope and Grace, is small group, aren't you guys excited? Aren't you so thankful for hope? That's good. Amen, amen, and amen. And I'm so thankful I get to join your small group this week, and so I've got to skip the line, so that'll be good. I am really excited for this week ahead. I think it's going to be so much fun. This weekend is going to be fall retreat, and I'm expecting God to move in powerful ways. I really just have this sense of expectancy, to be honest, unlike what I've ever experienced before a fall retreat. And I... I promise you, my resource or my small group, they asked me, do you say that every year? And I said, it feels different this year. I promise you. I just feel like God wants to do something specifically just from talking with our speaker and with our worship leader. I just really think God's going to move. So I challenge you to come open and expect it for God to move. We'll also have so much fun together. We'll have football under the lights. And it's not going to rain in Jesus' name. We've got a huge after party. If you want to see some of your fellow Chi Alpha mates fight each other, we will be able to have an opportunity for that. And it'll be safe, too. That's the beauty of it. So you're like, what the heck is that? You'll find out at Fall Retreat. We're also just going to have incredible time, presence of Jesus. It is not too late to sign up. Like Mackenzie said, she wasn't the only one. There were actually a few people who didn't come to Chi Alpha until this very service. Then they signed up for Fall Retreat, and they came to Fall Retreat, and now they're small group leaders. So I promise you it is not too late. And before we continue what we're gonna talk about tonight, we have for the third time this semester, I've got a special announcement. We have got another Chi- Ooh, that's at the presence of Jesus. He's ready to show up tonight. But before then, we've got our third Chi Alpha couple who's gotten engaged. So if we could get excited for Jordan and Shekinah, come on. Yes. Yes, amen, amen. Those are two of the most special people in the entire planet. I'm so thankful, love them both very much and they're gonna change the world so it's gonna be fun to watch. But anywho, I could go on for hours about them but I won't do that. Tonight, instead of going on to a sermon about Jordan and Shekinah, we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit. We're gonna continue our two-part series called Rest on Us. See, I think it's easy for us to understand in some aspects God the Father and then God the Son, as in Jesus. But this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, can sometimes be a little bit more confusing. Last week, Pastor Daniel from Scent Church, he shared with us who the Holy Spirit is and how he wants to invade your life, how we all have access to the Holy Spirit and how that can change everything for us. Tonight, we're going to jump around the book of Acts a little bit and see a very specific way that the Holy Spirit can empower us to live a life of boldness. We're going to be talking about something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul, who's the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament, was also the greatest church planter to ever live. And near the end of Paul's time planting churches, he hears about some people in the town of Ephesus who had just started believing in Jesus. He's so excited about this, but he doesn't want it to stop there. Paul knows that there's more for them, he knows that they have access to power from God, and that will help them live their life well as Jesus followers. So Paul goes to this church, and he tells them about the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 19, verses 1 through 8, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Then he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? He said, Into John's baptism." Paul's like, oh, gotcha, gotcha. John, he baptized the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who's to come after him. That's Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So remember this part. This is John's baptism. This is what happened first. John's baptism refers to being baptized in water. And that's what you do when you give your life to Jesus. After you commit to Jesus pub- publicly and say you want to be on with God, you get baptized in water. This is when you're like dunked or immersed in water and it's a symbol of you being cleansed from your sin. As someone is baptized in water, it's like they're dying to their old way when they're dunked in the water and then when they come out of the water, it's like they are being risen to a new creation in Jesus. This is an important part of following God is becoming water baptized. And we actually have an opportunity this weekend at Fall Retreat to do this. So if there's any of you who are interested, you've never been baptized before, if you've recently dedicated or rededicated your life to Jesus, I highly encourage you To get water baptized. If you are going to do that, you should bring some clothes that you can get wet in. We won't make you do it outside. It's cold. We will do it inside. But anyway, so that's water baptism, which is really important. But Paul is going to continue on in this story we're reading to point out the second part of this passage, which is about the Holy Spirit. So let's continue to verse six. It says this And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Our sermon title tonight is Equipped with Power. Equipped with power. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness, God. Thank you for everything you're already doing here tonight. And we just pray that this weekend and tonight and just this next semester of Chi Alpha will be such a powerful time in your presence. We love you so much. Amen and amen. Have any of you ever felt unequipped or maybe underequipped for a task in your life? Has there been something that feels just too daunting, like you don't have what it takes to do it? I know I have. I remember when I was hired at Scratch Cupcakery to decorate cupcakes as a sophomore male in college. And I looked at this daunting task. So this is what I had to do my first day. So they put the chocolate cupcake in the bottom, and they said, you need to take a scoop of peanut butter, and you got to just plop it on, and then place a Reese's peanut butter cup in the middle of it. Like, this is the easiest cupcake in the world. To them, it was easy. To me, that was more challenging than I think climbing a mountain would be, okay? Because you had to get the scoop right, and if you had too much, you would go overflow. The Reese's peanut butter cup is supposed to be in the middle, and it can't go off to the side. It has to be perfectly placed. I felt unequipped for this task. I was so unequipped that I was actually demoted from decorator to working in the front of the room, front of the store after one day, they let me decorate cupcakes for one day, and then I got an email from Scratch Cupcakeery and said, you've been reassigned. So anyways, I was not good at decorating. I remember taking over as the director of Chi Alpha, tasked with leading college students in the middle of COVID-19. Remember that thing where all to wear masks and like, hide from each other? That was a fun time to get this job. I felt a little unequipped for that. I'm like, what do you mean we got to sit six feet apart? People were sitting in the back, in the corner. Every seat in here, it'd be like seven feet apart, and so we had to kick people out. It was a really weird year. Felt a little unequipped. However, nothing has left me feeling quite as unequipped as the moment I became a parent. Here's a picture of my face the moment my son August came out. You can see I was a little startled. I'm like, what is happening right now? I was really confused. See, I was excited about this calling to becoming a parent, terrified, but yes, I was excited. I felt this call to raise my boys as men of God, to show them Jesus, to raise up little world changers, what I missed out on though, according to my wife Taylor, is the calling of being a parent comes with this calling to change diapers. Who knew that was part of the equation? I certainly didn't. And before changing August's first diaper, I had never changed a diaper in my entire life. August took my diaper card, so that was exciting. I put him okay, you're all like, oh, that's a stupid, lame attempt at humor. That's all I got, okay? Don't judge me. I took August, put him on the change table, I opened up the diaper. No idea what to expect. I'm like, what am I going to see in there? This is so weird. We'll find out. And I'm going through this process. And I get pretty focused when I have to do something challenging. Like my eyes start squinting. And as I'm doing this, it hits me. Not like a deep revelation on the calling to be a parent. No insight. What actually hit me was my son's Pee because he starts peeing on me, not only is he peeing on me, he's peeing all over my clothes, he gets on the carpet, it's just like flailing around, peeing everywhere, and I'm like, what do I do right now, he's screaming, I'm screaming, like, what do we do, so I eventually grab something, I don't know what, put it over his, you know what, and in that moment, I realized I might just be unequipped for this calling of parenting, but we're going to figure it out, and I've changed a lot of diapers since then, and it goes about just as well, so we're growing, pray for me. I do think sometimes, though, we can feel this way with God. Have you ever felt unequipped as a Jesus follower? Like, you know that Jesus has this high calling over your life. Like, maybe you know that God has called you to be holy, to run from sin. But there's something in your life that you know you're supposed to give up, but it just seems too hard. Like, I don't have what it takes to give that up. Maybe there's an area in your life that God is saying you need to be obedient with, but you just don't feel like you can do it can't overcome that struggle, give up that thing. It's just too hard to obey Jesus. Does anyone relate? Or maybe, as a Jesus follower, you are called to live on mission. That's important, to go share the love of Jesus with your roommates, your classmates, friends, family. We are called to tell other people about Jesus. Have you ever felt unequipped to do this? Is there anyone in here who's shy, maybe a little nervous, talking to new people? Does this idea of going up to people and talking about Jesus scare anyone? Anyone? It scares me. I'll be honest, a lot of the things that we're called to do as a Jesus follower just seem, I don't have what it takes. But if any of you can relate to me in this, we are in luck. Jesus has a gift for us. There's a gift that Jesus first offered the disciples that he now offers us, that equips us. The early church had a huge task in front of them. To recap, let's rewind. So in Jesus, he lived on earth, he died on the cross, he rises from the grave doing the most miraculous thing in all of history. And then in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says to his disciples, he gathers them together and he says, all right, you are to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You are to go reach the world with the message of what I've done. He gathers his friends and he says, it's your turn now. Go and make disciples. Go tell people what I've done. Go build the first church. That seems like a daunting task to me, right? Like your best friend dies and rises from the grave. He says, all right, now go tell everyone about it. Let me know when you're done. It seems a little daunting. The disciples had this calling, but they weren't equipped for this. See, there was no discipleship training class back then. Victor didn't teach you how to have friends. That wasn't a thing. There's no fall retreat back when the first church was created. No church service to invite people to. There wasn't even a Bible back then of the New Testament. None of that was there. They had to create the first church, They were way less equipped than even we are. The disciples were untrained, uneducated, common men from a ho-dunk area of the world. They had no business starting the greatest movement in the history of mankind. Yet, they're the ones Jesus used. Jesus knew they were the people for the job, but he also knew that they couldn't do it on their own. They needed power. If they were going to change the world, they needed power from God. So Jesus tells them, all right, before you go do that, though, before you go start the early church, I need you to go, go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to pray, and I want you to wait. Because Jesus was going to equip them. Jesus was going to equip his disciples for their mission through giving them power from the Holy Spirit. Right before Jesus leaves earth, he says this in Acts 1.8, but you receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We need power from God. If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to do the things God has asked of us, we need power from God. It is simply just too much for our own. So the disciples realize this. They get this promise of power from Jesus, and they go and listen to him. They go to what's called the upper room, and they devote themselves to prayer, and they wait on God. We have to realize this, though. They didn't just go to this room and start praying for like 30 seconds, check their watch, like, well, that's kind of boring. I'm out. No, they lingered for the presence of Jesus. If you want to meet with Jesus, if you learn anything tonight, this is pretty important. If you want to meet with Jesus, you have to be willing to wait. God is not a microwave meal that you can have in 30 seconds. Any meal that you buy in the freezer section, you pop in the microphone, it's not good anyways, right? Those are horrible that's not God. God doesn't move on our timing, but God moves in his timing, and sometimes that requires patience. God actually wants to develop patience in us. We live in an instant gratification society, right? If we want something, we can have it almost immediately. Let me confess one of my deepest sins. If I can't get something on Amazon in two days, it makes me so angry. I'm like, why in the world am I paying for Prime? Three days is too long to wait for this thing. I need it right now. If I needed it in three days, I would have booked it yesterday. No, I need it right now. And then I start getting angry, swearing. I'm just kidding. I don't swear at my phone. That'd be bad. But I don't like waiting because that's the society we live in, right? But that is not how God works. So I encourage you, if you're feeling like spiritually dry or you feel like God just seems away from you, if you're not encountering the presence of God, you gotta slow down. You need to give God more time. Maybe you need to intentionally set aside time to just wait on God and be okay if he doesn't strike you with like a lightning bolt of his presence. You get the heebie-jeebies right away. Like I raised my hand once. Why am I not shaking with the power of God? Slow down, you'll be fine. Calm down. We have to be intentional about repeatedly having time in the presence of God, giving him opportunities to move. This is exactly why we do things like fall retreat. It is us intentionally setting aside time to be with God, the reason that everyone's trying to get you to fall retreat is because we know that when we set aside time for the presence of God, things move. There's nothing special about fall retreat, I'll be honest with you. Like, it might not be the best worship you ever heard, it might not be the best sermon you ever heard. The thing that's special about it is it's just us getting away and focusing on Jesus. It's us sacrificing the urgent so we can do the important, which is to be with God. I think sometimes we do the urgent. I got to do this next homework task. I got to go to school. I got to go to class. Blah, blah, blah. What's right in front of me? And then we're wasting the important things. I don't want my life to be just about doing what's next on my to do list. I want my life to be, I've done the things that are important. And getting away to be with Jesus is very important. We cannot sacrifice the urgent at the altar, or excuse me, sacrifice the important at the altar of the urgent. So when Jesus tells the disciples to go wait in the presence of God, they could have been thinking, hey, yo, Jesus, you just told me I got a church to build. I got to do that. I've got a family. I haven't talked to them in a couple of years. You stole me away from them. I've got my job. I don't have any money now because I kept following you. I'm busy. I don't have time to focus on God and go pray. The disciples can think, thinking, I can't give a whole weekend to just the presence of God. I've got other things to do, and I get it. They are probably very busy people. They had, again, the first church to build. But for the disciples to have this encounter with God that we're gonna read about in a few minutes that absolutely changed the course of history. They had to intentionally set aside time to be with God. If you want the power of God, you have to make time for the presence of God. I'm gonna say that again. If you want the power of God, if you want your life to not be defined by just doing the next thing or feeling bland or powerless, if you want the power of God, you must sacrifice time for the presence of God. There is nothing that is a substitute for the presence of Jesus. The way we do this is doing things like coming to Fall Retreat, but more than that, it's having daily prayer time, spending time reading the Bible every day, coming to Chi Alpha services, coming to church, giving God access to the most important thing to us, which is usually our calendars. And here's one of my favorite things about Jesus. We are never too sinful to meet with God. We're never too sinful to meet with God, but oftentimes we're too busy to meet with God. Jesus never disqualifies because of something we've done, but he's also not gonna force himself upon us. We must prioritize the presence of God if we want to see life change. Anyways, let's go back to our story. So the disciples set aside time. They go to this room, and they pray, and they wait for God. They pray for days seeking him, and he shows up. And they have this encounter with the Holy Spirit that equips them for the task ahead. It says this in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance What in the world did I just read <laughs> right It's easy to think the Bible's boring and I'll be honest I'm not going to be a lying pastor some parts of the Bible is boring But it's not all boring. There's plenty of places that are exciting in the Bible. So the disciples are praying. They're asking God. They're like, they said, Jesus said that there's something we need from you, so we're asking for that. Don't know what it is. Then boom, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire land on their head. That freaks me out a little bit, to be honest. Like, It's like, like, have you ever heard of the computer game Sims, where like, there's like a green thing pointing up top of you? is it like that, but fire. I just, made my, I just embarrassed myself by showing you all I've played Sims before. Anyways, Lord, forgive me. The room shakes. They begin to speak in other tongues. They're speaking in different languages. What is happening? This is a little crazy. God can get a little wild. God isn't always just a buttoned-up like professional man. He gets a little crazy once in a while. And as this is all happening... I want you to picture this. I want you to zoom into that upper room with the disciples like the world's falling apart, it seems like. And as all these craziness is happening, I think what the disciples were thinking, actually, is everything clicked. Because they're like, oh, that's what you meant, Jesus. It finally made sense. Let me explain. I want to go back in time. As we learned last week, all Jesus followers have the Holy Spirit inside of them. Before Jesus died on the cross, it says this, John 20. And when he had said this, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So before this crazy event happened, before any of this, just when they accepted Jesus as their Lord, they had the Holy Spirit. Imagine this like a Coke bottle. So the Coke bottle is empty. When you believe that Jesus is Lord, when you accept Jesus, the coke bottle is filled up to the brim with coke, Coca-Cola representing the Holy Spirit. So if you follow Jesus, you are full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, ready and moving. All you got to do is accept Jesus Lord, you have the Holy Spirit. So all people who follow Jesus have access to the Holy Spirit. All right? That's me important. So the disciples already had the Holy Spirit inside of them before the book of Acts. But there is more for them. Jesus wanted to further equip them to be his witness. And the way he does this is through what we just read in Acts chapter 2, what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives power through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus told, tells his disciples right before he leaves, right before he says, "Thing you're going to receive power. says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then a few verses later, Jesus promises them that they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. All these promises are filled in Acts chapter 2, when the disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. Most of the time when we think of baptism, we think of water baptism, right? When people are dunked. We talked about that earlier. That's John's baptism. But this baptism in the Holy Spirit is different, all right? You should get water baptized. That's important. But this is different. This word baptize actually comes from the Greek word baptizo, and baptizo means to immerse, to dunk, to submerge. So when you're water baptized, you're submerged in water. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. So basically, this is kind of a heady concept, so I want to give you like in a one sentence. So if you want basically, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you have this encounter with God after you've already given your life to him, you're already a Christian, but you have this encounter with God where you're overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit and then you speak in tongues and you receive more power for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the baptizer. It's all about Jesus, all right? So I wanna go back to the Coke bottle. Hopefully this can help me explain. So this encounter with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is when the Holy Spirit that you already have inside of you, it overflows. It's like this if you put on the video. That's Lilu. So as you can see, Lilu put some Mentos in that Coke bottle. That's what it's like when, the, when Jesus baptized us in the Holy Spirit. We already have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit overflows out of us, and the way that's shown is through speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts, like God moving in a supernatural way in our lives. Speaking in tongues, that sounds kind of crazy, right? Like, what in the world does that mean? Is my tongue just start going, no, it's not like that. It's not like you start rolling your R's like all the time. That is not speaking in tongues. No, speaking in tongues is just when you give control of your tongue over to God and you start to speak in this kind of like heavenly language that you don't really understand. It's just you and the Holy Spirit praying. Sometimes it's also actually a different earthly language, like you start speaking French. That's actually what happened in Acts chapter 2 with the disciples, but it could be either way. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you start speaking in this language that you don't quite understand because the Holy Spirit's praying through you. We learn in 1 Corinthians 14 that speaking in tongues is this good gift from God. It helps us pray, it builds us closer to God. And again, it's not like the Holy Spirit grabs your tongue and like starts wiggling it and saying, you need to follow me better, it's not like that. No, we have to release control and trust God. Trusting God is so essential. Before Jesus can equip us with power, we gotta give up control. We need to trust Jesus. And this is personally why I think... Jesus uses this gift of speaking in tongues as the methodology to show we are baptized in the Holy Spirit to have this encounter. Because speaking in tongues forces us to give up control of our tongue, which is kind of like a symbolism for giving up control of our lives. Speaking in tongues is just one of the many spiritual gifts that we have access to, all right? Focusing on one, but there's a lot. We don't have time to jump into all of them. There's things like prophecy, though, words of knowledge, healing. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, it talks all about these spiritual gifts, I do want to have a quick note, though. So these spiritual gifts that we're talking about, these supernatural things we have access to because of the power of God, they should all be encouraging, gentle, and orderly. Even though we're talking about something a little strange, supernatural, right? God is still a God of order. That's why we don't have people who, like, yell in tongues and, like, start shouting in some language none of us understand. That'd be confusing. That'd startle me if someone started shouting at me. We don't do that. No, we believe that everything needs to have order, and God isn't going to just throw chaos in the mix. That's why people don't shout in tongues from stage unless someone else interprets it and says what they're saying in English. They're, that is a gift, but it's much less common. No, speaking in tongues is usually just this private prayer language between you and God. Helps us pray when we don't know what to pray because I don't know about you. Sometimes I run out of stuff to pray about. I'm like five minutes in and I'm like, ah, Jesus, I pray from Taylor again. Amen. Let's go now. Sometimes I need help. And so praying in tongues is just an opportunity to have the Holy Spirit pray through us. Who better to help us pray than the Holy Spirit? Amen? Amen. So all this to say, Acts chapter 2, the disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they are given this ability to speak in tongues. This continues, though. This continues to happen throughout the book of Acts. I want to show you the biblical nature and how biblical The baptism of the Holy Spirit is this encounter with God where we just receive more power. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans are baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Samaritans were like half Jews. All the disciples were Jewish. Samaritans are like half Jews. So it's showing that the Holy Spirit's not just for the Jewish people or like God's chosen people, it's for everyone. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, that guy we talked about who like planted a bunch of churches, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul says in his letters that he speaks in tongues more than all of us. It is so clear throughout Scripture that Paul, this is probably the second most important Christian to ever live, spoke in tongues. If he did it, I want to do it because he planted a ton of churches. I want the power that guy had, right? So that happens in Acts chapter 9. If we continue on to Acts chapter 10, we see the Gentiles are baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Gentiles people who are not Jewish at all. So we have Jewish people, half-Jews, and then fully non-Jewish. Most of us in here are probably Gentiles because we're not Jewish. That's under nationality. This is showing us that the Holy Spirit's available to everyone. We all have access to it. And then finally we get to our story that we read tonight in Acts chapter 19, which is 20 years after Acts chapter 2 experience. So 20 years after the tongues of fire start floating on their head, another group of people, these Ephesians or the Gentiles, are baptized in the Holy Spirit. What this shows us is that this baptism of the Holy Spirit, accompanied by speaking in tongues, this gift that Jesus offers us, kept happening all throughout the Bible. The early church was defined by encounters with the Holy Spirit. The first church, which is what we should base everything off of, because that's what Jesus made, was defined by baptism the Holy Spirit. You cannot tell the story of the early church without this gift. And the thing that's beautiful, and the reason that I even bring this up, is because the early church was full of power, and that power turned the world upside down. Because a group of 11 men, became billions of people who have followed Jesus over the last 2,000 years. The early church, 11 people, took the Roman Empire, the most powerful kingdom in all of creation in history, to its knees because they had power from God. I want the early church's power. I want to live a life that God designed us to live. And the reason they had power and had explosive growth is because they had access to the Holy Spirit. So it's threw a lot at you. If you have more questions about this, the theology behind it, which is just like why it's that way, or if you want more details or more of a training, if you want to know maybe, hey, why did my church I grew up in never teach on this idea? If you want to find the biblical backing, luckily for all of us is that fall retreat, I'm going to be teaching a breakout all about this. I'm going to get really nitty gritty like if you are in my classroom and I was a teacher and go through all of it. I, you're probably like, I'm not going to that. That sounds boring. It will not be boring. I'll make it fun, I hope. But if you really want to learn more about this concept, please come into that breakout, and I'll love to explain it. But let me say all this. I know this all sounds a little strange, right? Speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit baptism. We live in a part of the world that's kind of freaked out by this kind of stuff, right? We're in Iowa. Us Iowans don't want to get kooky. We want to stay calm. We want to have, like, the buttoned up. We want to keep everything calm. I get it. I'm from Iowa God bless the Hawkeyes, or Panthers, I guess, but we're kind of freaked out by the supernatural, right? Believe me, me too. But something I want us to note is, I think it's easy to live like with lens on where we view everything from a, like from a 21st century Iowan, where everything has to fit into our box. But that doesn't make sense because we're just one person in the billions, eight billion people in the world. So although the supernatural in these things seem kind of weird to us Iowans, if you go across the world to the global church, This is commonplace. The church is in decline in America, but the church is exploding in Africa, in South America, and in Asia. The church is blowing up. Like, you know how we always, like, if you grow up in American Christianity, like, oh, the church is dying. It's not that way around the rest of the world. And in those places, South America, Africa, Asia, the churches are all teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, They're all getting access to the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is what's leading to growth. It's exploding because they have access to the Holy Spirit. So let's try not to live into our little lens, but be open because the global church is exploding as they're also preaching and practicing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And hear me, this is not my personality at all. I'm extremely reserved. It kind of makes me uncomfortable. It's easy for me to think the Holy Spirit's kind of weird, but the Holy Spirit's not weird People are weird, right? People abuse things, right? People can get weird. Like people start like hanging from chandeliers, something like yabba dabba in tongues. Yeah, that's weird. I agree with you, okay? Don't blame the Holy Spirit for some kooky people who take advantage of it, all right? We can have the power of God without being crazy. We can be a little crazy. but One more thing. If you're a Christian here, if you're a Jesus follower, that means that you believe And you're okay with, you actually endorse a virgin giving birth to the Son of God. Let me say that again. If you follow Jesus, you think a 14-year-old girl was impregnated by God himself and then gave birth to the Son of the same God. That doesn't freak us out. We're like, oh, I'm not speaking in tongues, bro. That's weird. That just doesn't add up quite to me, right? Like, if you're going to throw it all out, throw it all out, right? No virgin, no speaking in tongues, then that's fine. We'll talk. But if you're going to say the virgin can have the baby, then I'm going to tell you that there's power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. We can't pick and choose what we want from the Bible. Like, that makes me feel weird. But everyone says Christmas is good, so I like my little Mary doll, so that's fine for me. Now, you get a pick. All in or, never mind. Anyways. It's getting late. (sighs) Amen. I love you guys. This is so much fun. We need power from God, right? If we want to live into the calling of God over our lives, we need power. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he knew this all too well. Let's talk about Peter's story. Peter was Jesus' right hand man. Peter is the first disciple to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter was called to lead the early church. But Peter is not equipped for the job. As Jesus is taken prisoner and sentenced to die on the cross, Peter's watching this all unfold. So you can, I picture like this, like Peter is sitting by a fire. He's like kind of crouching. He's sitting. He's surrounded by some people, getting his hands warm. And he sees Jesus like being murdered. He's like, oh, nice. That's kind of cool. And then a servant girl comes up to him, a little girl. She's like, hey, hey, mister. Don't you know him? Just a servant girl. No power. Peter gets all anxious and nervous. He's like, no, I don't know him. Get behind me, Satan. He's all stressed out. He denies Jesus to a little girl. Peter denies Jesus to a little girl. Peter denies, not only knowing the Messiah, the God of the universe, you gotta realize Peter was also denying knowing his very best friend. Peter then goes on to deny Jesus, not once, not even twice, three times, Peter denies knowing his best friend, who he also knows is the God of the universe. He's not denying Jesus to soldiers. No one's got a gun to his head. No, it's not soldiers. It's not political leaders. These people can't hurt him. He's denying Jesus to a little girl who has no power over him because Peter's scared. See, I don't think in that moment Peter's, like, happy to deny Jesus, right? It's clear, because right after he does it, Jesus just looks at him, doesn't say anything, and then he runs away bawling. Like, I can, those eyes of Jesus, like, you just denied me. That would scare me a little bit, too. But he runs away weeping, because he feels horrible. Peter wanted to do the right things. Peter wanted to stand up for Jesus and say, I am a follower of Jesus, and I stand for him. He wanted to be the person Jesus said he could be, the rock on which the church is built. Peter wanted to be that person, but he lacked power. He lacked boldness. Maybe some of us can relate. We want to be bold for Jesus. I'm assuming you guys want to tell your friends about God. You want to see our campus come to know Jesus. but Maybe you're just a little scared. Maybe you're nervous to talk to new people, to be a witness for Jesus. Maybe you're always in your head psyching yourself out, thinking of why you can't do things, why you can't get over that sin, why you can't be outward as a Jesus follower. Maybe you're scared to go all in with Jesus. Like, I just don't have what it takes. I just can't go all in. I'm scared to give everything up. We're just like Peter. Each and every one of you has a huge calling over your life. Jesus wants to use you to change the world. When Jesus sees you, he sees a world changer. He doesn't just see a freshman at and I studying accounting. No, he sees someone that can go and turn the world upside down for the love of God. When Jesus sees you, he sees what he saw in Peter. You have a huge calling over your life. Jesus wants to use you to impact your classes, your dorms. He has a calling of obedience over you. But like Peter, we need power. So Peter denies Jesus. And then Jesus goes to die on the cross and then rise from the grave. And then Peter goes and he sees the empty grave. He goes where Jesus was and it's empty. He's like, okay, that's kind of cool. So you think, okay, I just saw my best friend die and rise from the grave. That should give me some boldness, right? Nope. After Peter sees the empty grave, it says this. On the evening of that day, this is Act, or John 20, 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the door's being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. The empty tomb wasn't enough to calm Peter's fear. The empty tomb didn't give him the power he needed. Peter needed something else. Then he meets the resurrected Jesus. Jesus ascends or goes back to God. And then Acts chapter two happens, that thing where they're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this changes everything. Going back to that story in Acts chapter two. So Peter's in the upper room, starts speaking in tongues like what the heck's happening. He walks out and there's a huge crowd of people. Thousands of people are mocking him. They don't believe that they did encounter God. They call him a drunk actually. Peter's met with some real trials now. This isn't a little servant girl. This is an army of people saying you're full of it. So what's Peter gonna do? Is he gonna cower to fear again? Nope. Peter looks at that huge crowd. He stands up, gets up high, and he preaches a message that cuts to their hearts. He tells them all about who Jesus was. And this wasn't like a cute, Jesus loves you and you can never outrun his grace. Amen. It's not that message. No, what Peter says is like, you have all sinned. You have killed the Messiah. Jesus was the chosen one, and you killed him. Repent and turn back to God. It says this in Acts 2.23. It's kind of scary. This Jesus, this is Peter talking up, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Ouch, Peter's a little feisty, right? Calm down, Pete. It's gonna be fine. No, Peter goes from denying Jesus to a little girl to preaching to thousands of people, telling them to repent and turn back to God. Clearly, something changed, right? Clearly, something had to change. And after Peter preaches that sermon, three thousand people accept Jesus as the Lord. A little nutty. That's power. That's Acts encountering the Holy Spirit and then receiving power to be His witness. He goes from hiding from a little girl to accusing the Jewish religious leaders of killing the Messiah. He goes on to create the first church. Peter goes on to die for Jesus. Something had to change him, right? And the evidence from the book of Acts is it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the reason this is important is because Jesus wants to give you the same boldness. It's actually beautiful. In Peter's sermon, he actually speaks to us who are thousands of years later. Do you know that? Peter preached a sermon to you. It says this in Acts 2, 38-39. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us. We're those who are far off, right? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls himself. Everyone who has a relationship with God has this gift of the Holy Spirit. It's for all of us. Jesus wants to equip us to live this life of witness. It's the whole purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to receive power to be a witness. It's all about, it's not about being better than other Christians. It's not about leveling up. No, just because you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit doesn't make you better than anyone else. None of that. It's just about receiving power from the Holy Spirit to help other people come to know Jesus. Peter didn't become better than other people because he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. No, he just grew in himself. So hear me, you don't have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to have a relationship with Jesus. This isn't a commandment. This isn't something you have to do. Rather, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just a good gift that Jesus offers us to further equip us. It is a gift, not a mandate. Some things like are black and white, like you need to accept Jesus as Lord. This is just a free gift that Jesus offers us. So if you're here tonight, and your life with Jesus has felt bland or powerless, and you want something more, There is a gift to help. I encourage you to seek after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At fall retreat, we're going to have a time where we all pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll have an opportunity. So I encourage you in that moment, come up front and pray for this gift. Pray for more of God. Even when we go and respond in worship, you can ask God, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait. But to make this talk even more simple, what I really want you to get is I encourage you to at least set aside time to be with God. Seek after the presence of God. We can't have the power of God without his presence. We're getting ready for Fall Retreat, right? Come into Fall Retreat expecting God to move. Be open to what God wants to do in your life. If you come into Fall Retreat skeptical and like doubting that you're actually gonna meet with God, you probably aren't gonna have a powerful experience. If you come to Fall Retreat, like your arms are all crossed and you're like, Jesus, force me to meet with you. You won't do it and just stare at him and you just stare into the worship leader's eyes and like, I will not meet with Jesus. I will not meet with Jesus. Jesus didn't come grab your arms and like force you to praise him, right? That's not how God works. He's not going to like, all right, grump, have fun by yourself. He's not going to force you to encounter him. But if you come in ready and excited to meet with God, ready for whatever God wants to do, I promise you're an encounter. We need encounters with God to keep us going. We don't live for experiences and spiritual highs, but one moment in the presence of God can change everything. One moment in the presence of God can do more than a lifetime of striving. Our main idea tonight is the baptism of the Holy Spirit equips us with power to live into our calling. The baptism of the Holy Spirit equips us with power to live into the calling over our lives. It's a lot of information, a lot of things that might be nuanced or new to you. But maybe some of you are here tonight and you don't even call Jesus Lord yet. So you're like, I'm not worried about getting equipped with power. I just want to like know this Jesus guy. I get that. Taking steps. Going back to Peter's story, when Peter is baptized in the Holy Spirit, remember how he got up and he preached a message and 3,000 people came to know Jesus? Peter's message just pointed back to Jesus. Peter's message was simple. Peter told them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. we have all fallen short and screwed up and we should be separated from God but now we can have access to God because Jesus paid the price for our sins this sermon that cut to the heart of 3,000 people was really simple we mess up every day that should separate us from the perfect God but it doesn't have to because of what Jesus has done So if you're here tonight and you're feeling separated from God, you're not too far gone. There is hope in the name of Jesus. But we do need to do something. We need to take a step of asking for forgiveness. And then we're set free to pursue God. It's been eternity with him. I just feel there's some people in here tonight who you kind of feel like you've been on this race running away from God. And you just feel like you've run too far what we need to realize is as we run away from God, if we turn around, Jesus was running right behind us, ready to meet with us. I know that there's this idol in this, really, addiction in our society of performing we feel like we have to perform for our parents, perform for school, perform for our small group leaders, perform for our friends, and that is not the God we serve. We do not serve a God of performance. We serve a God who offers free gifts, first of which is the free gift of grace. You do not have to perform for King Jesus. Jesus loves you in the middle of your mess. In the middle of your brokenness, Jesus loves you right there. He also offers us this free gift of the baptism and the Holy Spirit. But before we can accept that gift, we've got to take the first gift and accept the grace of God. You are not too far from Jesus. I think Jesus is asking us to be like those 3,000 people, turn our lives and give it back to God. And as you do that, watch Jesus speak destiny over your life. That's what this is all about. We are to meet Jesus and then be called by him to change the world. Meet Jesus, call to change the world. Meet Jesus, we're called to change the world just like with the disciples. The disciples was a group of 11 people that were called to change the entire world. And although billions of people have come to know Jesus since then, the job is not done yet. I don't know if you've looked around recently, but our world is a little bit far from God. 68% of the world's population does not follow Jesus. We're not halfway there yet. We got some work to do, right? So many people need to know Jesus in the whole world, really on our campus. About 10% of our campus is connected to a campus ministry and following Jesus. So many people need to know God. That's a big mission, right? But I know I can't do it on my own. On my own, I'm an introverted person. I'm not very bold. I'm quite fearful. I don't, really don't like talking to new people. I'm terrified of it. But the reason that I'm Pentecostal or believing in the power of the Holy Spirit, the reason I teach these things is, and the reason I believe in these things is not by choice. Like I said, I'm kind of an introverted guy who would like to cookie cutter things. But the reason that I believe in this is A, because it's true in the Bible, but B, because I need power from God. If I'm going to accomplish the calling over my life, I need to be equipped with power from the Holy Spirit. And this is so much bigger than just being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are called to live a life defined by moves of God, to let God work in our lives. We need moves of God if we want to live into the calling over our lives. We cannot do this on our own, and getting baptized in the Holy Spirit is a beautiful launching step into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Into the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what it takes me to get more boldness and to see my friends come to know Jesus, sign me up, right? If that's what it takes for me to get some boldness... I'll do whatever it takes to see my friends come to know Jesus. Because remember, the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to see power to be a witness. See, I want to see people escape the grasp of hell. So let's do whatever it takes. And remember that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just a gift from Jesus. And Jesus is a good God who does not give evil gifts. About 20 years ago, the Chi Alpha at North Dakota State University, they had around 50 students. And their pastor, Pastor Brad Lewis, had been leading that Chi Alpha for 15 years. I feel like I've been doing this for a long time and I'm going into year four. 15 years of hard work and he only had 50 students to show for it. And then this group of hungry students came into his Chi Alpha and they had a burden to see their campus come to know Jesus. They wanted to reach their whole campus but they knew that the way to reach their campus was not doing more fun giveaways. They didn't start giving away free Chick-fil-A they went for the jugular with Jesus. We'll get there. They didn't start doing things cooler. know what that group of students did to reach their campus is they started to pray and they started to seek the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They prioritized the baptism of the Holy Spirit and these spiritual gifts. They prioritized the power of God. They would go to their church building and they'd pray all night for lost students on campus. All night, multiple days a week, they'd be in their church building crying out for the students on their campus. That Chi Alpha group grew from 50 students to around 900 in just a couple years. And it wasn't because this pastor started giving cooler messages or dressing nicer because believe me, this pastor was a 50-year-old farmer, five-zero, 5-0, 50-year-old farmer who looked exactly like that sounds, <laughs> right? Balls, nice polos he would wear, the baggiest jeans in the planet. He didn't get cooler. They didn't start giving away nice T-shirts, No, the reason they saw explosive growth is because they encountered the power of the Holy Spirit time and time again. And see, I have a dream for our Chi Alpha. If you look around, you'll see that there's empty chairs in here. This auditorium sits 700 people. I have a dream that there'll be 700 people in here worshiping Jesus, not for the name of Chi Alpha, but for the name of King Jesus. I have a dream that someday the Unidome is going to be filled up with people worshiping Jesus because all 10,000 students need a place to worship God. I have this vision in my head of being on the football field and student after student bowed on their knees just worshiping King Jesus saying, God, whatever you want for me, whatever you want for me in my life, I have a vision of seeing this campus turned upside down by the name of Jesus. But on our own, we do not have what it takes. We are not equipped. We will not reach our campus through good music through me talking, not good enough at that, through having the best small groups, having nice lights, because those things all lack power. We need power from God to see our campus turned upside down. We need power from God, not better ways of doing things. We need every tool that Jesus can give us to reach our friends, to reach the world for Jesus. If we want to see this dream come true, we need the power of the If you want to live into this calling over your life, if you want to see Chi Alpha live into the calling over our lives, we've got to be desperate for God. But if we do this, if we will actually get desperate, start praying and seeking the power of God, watch out. Our campus will be turned upside down. We you all stand with me? If there's anyone in here tonight and that when I was talking about not having a relationship with Jesus yet, like not taking that first step, if you related to that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. We do this every week at Chi Alpha because we believe it's important. So if you guys would all close your eyes, bow your heads, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And if you have not given your life to Jesus or you need to turn back to God and rededicate your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are in charge now. If that's you and you want to take that step of faith, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three to do a physical sign to Jesus of what he's doing in your heart. So on the count of three, raise your hand as a sign to Jesus. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray. We pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you, God. Thank you for your power and thank you for your grace, Jesus. Thank you for our new sons and daughters in your kingdom. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. You can open your eyes. If you guys would all do me a favor and you just hold your hands out like this, like you're gonna receive a gift. I think there's a few gifts that we need to receive tonight. So I'm just gonna speak over you and whatever works, just latch on to it. I think there's some of us in here tonight who need to receive this gift of grace and we don't have to perform for God anymore. I think there's some of us who think that we have to keep striving after God and he's saying, you don't have to strive. Just come and rest in my presence. You don't have to perform for God. I think there's some of us who feel like our life with God has been bland and we've been crying out for encounters with God. We want to hear you, God. I feel like you're empty. You're not speaking to me, God. Jesus wants to speak to you. I just pray that he's going to speak to you right now. I pray that fall retreat, he's going to speak to you. I'm praying patience over you, that you'll be willing to wait for God. He's worth it. And I think there's some of us who want to receive the gift of the the Holy Spirit. We want power to be his witness, and we want to reach our friends. I'm praying right now that as we enter into worship, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight. That if I'll retreat, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That we'll receive power, and that God will use you, and there's a calling over your life. And he's saying, you just have a step of obedience you need to take to unlock this next step. I feel like there's someone in here tonight who well, there's a sin issue that you know you need to get rid of, and there's so many things you want to step into, but you, every time you think of being a bold witness for Jesus or talking to someone about Jesus, you feel like a fraud on the inside because there's some sin you're struggling with, and Jesus saying, you don't have to be perfect to be my witness. Yes, run, sin, and go and sin no more, but you don't have to be perfect to be his witness. Receive grace, but then turn from that sin. And we pray. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the things you can speak over us. I pray for the most powerful week in Alpha history. We pray for Fall Retreat right now, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to go to Sunstream right now. God, to start just stirring the waters there, God, to start awakening something new. I pray that we will see students baptized in the Holy Spirit, students give their lives to you, and see students called into ministry at this retreat, God, that we'll see lives turned upside down. And Jesus, we pray for tonight that you can meet with us. We love you so much. Amen and amen. We're going to worship together with one more song.